Before we begin today's episode of the Mental Health Podcast, we have a short message. In anticipation of the huge app launch, Tally has decided to record the Tally Talk podcast. The mental health startup hosts weekly anonymous conversations around society's most stigmatised subjects. The Tally Talk podcast gives people with lived experiences the opportunity to speak openly, honestly and freely on hard-hitting topics such as sexual abuse, addiction and abortion, all while staying anonymous. Dive into the Tally Talk podcast today and check out this year's most exciting mental health startup as featured in Forbes magazine by searching tally.app on all other platforms, streaming and social media platforms. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Mental Health Podcast. As you know already, uh, this season we'll be having anonymous guests on to have really candid and authentic conversations surrounding mental health and men's mental health, you know, in particular. Uh, the three questions that we're going to be focusing on today, we are going to take a bit of a you know personal slant with it, but also, again, looking at mental health um, from the perspective of, you know, why men find it harder to talk about this and why men find it harder to, you know, get involved with awareness and activism when it comes to issues surrounding mental health. So the first question we'll be looking at today will be, what is your personal journey with mental health and how have your life experiences influenced this? And then secondly, zooming out as we usually do, what would your top three pieces of advice be for people who find it hard to talk to others about their mental health issues? And as I always say on as I always as I always say on the podcast, even though we are focused towards men's mental health, it can be difficult for anyone from any demographic, from any background, to talk about mental health. And we'll be exploring some of those reasons today. And then finally, um, again, a bit more of a personal directed question, but as someone involved in mental health awareness, why do you think there seems to be a lot more female mental health activists and interest than male? And as usual, we always look at the stats as well to back up, you know, our arguments and our points. So 73% of adults who go missing are men and 87% of those sleeping rough are men. And that's from the counselling directory. And those stats are important because those are two very big signs um, or symptoms, I guess, of mental health. And also when it comes to things like sleeping rough, mental health is very much increased. Um, So it's just important to look at those stats, I think. And then lastly, 77% of men polled have suffered with anxiety, stress or depression. And that's from the Priory. So, yeah, thank you for coming on today. Um, and we'll start off with the first question. So for you personally, what has your journey with mental health been like? And how have your life experiences influenced this? Well, firstly, thank you for having me on. It's a brilliant honour. I mean, I've been friends with you for such a long time. I absolutely loved the podcast and I've been listening to a lot of the episodes. Um, and obviously, I think you can tell by my voice, I am a woman. Um, so I think I've got quite a unique stance here in the sense of I've seen both sides of it. I've seen men and women and what they've gone through. Um, for me personally, my experience with mental health has been quite unique in the sense of um, normally when you talk to people, they say that um, it started around the age of 12 or 13, usually with puberty. Um, mine was a slightly different experience. Mine actually hit me very early on in life. So as long as back as I can go, uh, even remember, I would get very distressed. It also didn't help. I was quite badly bullied at primary school because I was also adopted. And that was a known fact. It was something that I had to grow up with purely because my parents adopted more children in the future. So they couldn't exactly hide it from me. And there were other intricacies that came into that. Now, um, like I said, that gave me kind of a sense of no belonging as a child. And even as an eight-year-old, I remember just feeling very depressed, very lonely. I didn't feel like I had a, a place in the world or in my family. It was a very weird dynamic. And as I got older, it became worse. And it fell very, very quickly um, in secondary school when, you know, you're exposed to all these new people and lifestyles. And I saw very quickly that no one understood what was going on and I don't just mean teachers here or counsellors I mean like people my age as well if I was saying oh you know I just don't feel right like I didn't mean I don't feel well I just didn't feel anything 
And it was really weird for me because no one was really getting it. No one was relating. And it made me feel even more isolated. And it actually resulted in multiple issues. Um, the main ones being I developed anorexia, bulimia. I also developed um, very, very deep depression, which I now know is different. And I'll get on that and get onto that in a minute. But um, I also ended up self-harming quite severely for quite a long period of time. Um, and luckily I could play off as a woman as burns because that's how I did it. I would burn myself and it um, meant that, oh, I just dropped the straighteners or, oh, you know, it's just like I did it in food tech, like I leant over the oven and I burnt myself and I could easily get away with it all the time because people just believe me. And I think that's a big problem as well is the fact that normally when you're 14 year old, you know how to lie anyway because, you know, you're getting kissed in a field. So <laughs> um, I feel like, about this and I did and they quite frankly said to me there's nothing we can do I was having repetitive nightmares almost every night I was not eating not sleeping so I went to a teacher and she said to me there's nothing we can do and then they contacted my parents and it just made everything worse it created a lot of um mistrust for a very long period of time in both me with my parents but also me with just anybody with a superior role to me so anybody in authority just immediately didn't trust I then went back and forth to the doctors quite a few times and nothing was done about it and in fact actually a doctor told me as well and I don't know if you've had a similar experience uh, I, I don't know I think men probably do get this quite a lot more but mm -hmm. it was um no you're not depressed you're not mentally ill you're just a teenager you're going through some stuff that's literally all I was told. And it's just this kind of thing of, well, I, I, yes, I'm a teenager, but does that mean that my issues aren't real? I'm still a human, I still have a brain. You know, if, if you're ill and you've got a kidney infection, your body kills the kidney, it doesn't kill your body. If you've got liver failure, your body kills the liver, the liver off to prevent the disease from flowing through to the rest of your body. And the same thing with mental health. When your brain is ill, your brain starts shutting down, which is what my brain was doing. And doctors weren't listening to me and trying to help me. Instead, they were saying, no, nope, you're a teenager. You're just angsty. It's all melodramatic. You know, none of this is real. And one of the funniest things somebody's ever said to me was a GP when I was in year 11. And she said, it's all in your head. Now you well, can see the irony here because yes it was all in my head it, it was a mental illness um anyway so for years after that i just thought i've got depression and anxiety and um earlier however that's not where the story ends here because i've later discovered i think or anxiety i have depressive episodes and an anxiety disorder all linked to bpd or borderline personality disorder and this will to self-diagnosis and stuff that I would like to talk about in another question. Mm -hmm. But um, I found this out through social media because, and as much as, you know, you shouldn't Google your symptoms and all that kind of stuff. If you are actually ill, do not Google your symptoms. Just call. It would just tell you that you're very close to death. <laughs> exactly. You've got stage four liver failure. You are going to die within the next 48 hours. Yeah. Don't do that. But um I kind of did a little bit of research into BPD because um, I was actually doing a similar thing to you, Luke, in the sense of I was um, doing a podcast or more of an episode, a documentary, essentially, um, on the school system and how they handle mental health, especially in universities. And um, one of the guests on there actually was talking about her experiences. And we instead of half an hour for nearly three hours, and we discovered that, and it was her as well that helped me out in this discovery that maybe it wasn't what BPD and I'm now going through a diagnosis for that and I have got a doctor that has said it probably is along those lines. So, you know, it is a never-changing process. That is my experience as, as I've up to this point. Um, I've not had the best experiences, as you can obviously imagine, but it's been a journey. Um I mean, it's, it's been interesting, but I have definitely learned quite a lot about um, other stuff along the way. And it's also made me a lot more passionate about talking about, and this is with air quotes, um, niche mental health problems and disorders and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Because I think people jump on the bandwagon of, you know, you have depression or anxiety, you have 
panic attacks, you know, you get nervous around exam season, you don't want to open your results. And obviously, yes, they are really, really important things we talk about. But schizophrenia, BPD, DID, why do we not talk about them enough? Why are they not mm -hmm. mentioned? Why are they not even suggested in schools? I feel like if the school were to help you, they would only say it's only ever those three things of depression, anxiety and panic attacks. They would never, ever go further than that. And that is a big, big problem because if you get misdiagnosed, if you have bipolar disorder and you are given depression tablets and antidepressants to help stimulate you, it actually can cause more issues. Well, if that's have... almost like if you've, if you've got a cold and you're being given what they'd usually use to treat a, a you know a broken leg like they're, they're bandaging, bandaging up your leg and stuff um yeah it's just uh we'll, we'll talk i was talking about this in the first episode actually misdiagnosis and the the lack of the genuine lack of education from mm -hmm. a lot of um well to be fair a lot of schools a lot of universities and even a lot of doctors is just shocking oh no absolutely i mean the other problem with misdiagnosis is i was very very close to given antidepressants which um i've got a history of addiction in my family so i said point blank i don't want to take medication unless it's absolutely necessary and this is another problem with gps as well they force antidepressants down your throat they throw yeah. them away like they're fun pills they are not fun pills they are serious medication that you should take if only necessary now because i now think i'm going down the line of bpd and i'm also going through an adhd um, assessment as well if i were to be given those pills not only could it make my BPD worse and it can cause more severe mood swings and even suicidal tendencies, but it also means that any contraception that I'm on, I'm on a contraceptive pill, means that I wouldn't even know because they don't even tell you this, it stops the pill from working. Now, who's to say that that could cause even more mental health problems for mm. me as a young woman who wants to become a teacher? changes your entire life overnight yeah. because you fall pregnant and you then have that horrible decision of do I keep this baby and completely change my life when I'm not mentally ready to have a child or do I have to mentally process the fact that I may have to get an abortion that is a lot to put on a very young person mm. and they don't even tell you about that and the exact same thing I've got a friend who very recently um was put back on antidepressants and was not told about these side effects and she's in her first first ever relationship and I had to pull her to the side and be like, yo, you're going to have to be extra safe now. And she's actually had to go to more like extensive measures to make sure mm. that nothing does happen. And she's had to go through a very traumatic time with an IUD. It, it's those kind of things that they don't even talk about. And yeah. obviously, you know, this, this, this episode, I do want to talk quite a lot about men as well. But um, that is something that it's so dangerous. It's so, so dangerous. But yeah, so... <laughs> yeah no no thank you thank you for being so um open yeah and uh, yeah like authentic there because that's really that's really sort of one of the reasons why like i said i've, I've tried to make it anonymous because i think it is easier to talk about these things um you know sort of in that setting and it's very interesting what you're saying about bpd because beforehand before the sort of the first season i'm not gonna lie i was very uneducated when it came to more specific sort of mental health disorders such as that yeah. um i actually got mixed up between bipolar and bpd um and a few other things and then we had i had a guest on i had a guest on um and he actually only got diagnosed with a uh, bpd uh at the start of lockdown so yeah. a very interesting time to be yeah <laughs> um and and he was talking in depth about it and it's definitely you know definitely with a uh, sort of schizophrenia and, and things like that i definitely want to get people on who've had first-hand experiences with that um i think yeah going on mm. into sort of the next question now so what would your top three pieces of advice be for people who find it hard to talk to others about their mental health issues and this could range from a general sort of just unhappiness um a, a not very stable you know not a very stable place of, of mental well-being to then these very as you said niche unique disorders which require specialist treatment yeah, I mean, like you said, you know, if it is, I, I don't want to say the trendy ones, but they, they essentially are trendy <laughs> because I do think that, you know, people have made it trendy and it's, it's disgusting that they have, but depression, anxiety, panic, things like that, the ones that are more talked about and hence are trendy because I do think people jump on the bandwagon quite a lot. They are easier to talk about, um, not so much in certain people, 
but um this one this one is more for everybody you can not have anything at all you could have just mild depression all the way through to really serious DID and you know you're suffering with lifelong trauma from something that happened to you when somebody um you can just see isn't themselves or you can see they're down and you ask if they're okay and they say they're fine say no really are you okay and asking a second time does make all the difference because i think especially as british people we do the high oh hi luke how are you yeah yeah how are you doing stiff up lip in that. you know yeah, yeah yeah and it's kind of just like a greeting you know and you never actually yeah. say actually no i'm not okay it's kind of like yeah, yeah, yeah i'm fine and it's it's normal to say i'm fine mm. are you fine probably not and often i think if we just have those conversations and i think definitely men need to do it with their guy friends a lot more and yeah. i've definitely noticed and being now in the relationship I'm with, and I'll get into this in a little bit, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've definitely seen toxic masculinity, but also really positive masculinity, and it's something that's been lovely. So just ask your friends, are you okay? Yeah, and no, I'm fine. No, really, are you okay? If you want to talk, I'm here. That's another one. If you want to talk, I'm always here. Now, the next piece of advice is quality over quantity. And I think the, lo- the lockdown, the pandemic, has really taught all of us this. If you've got anybody toxic in your life, just cut them out. Could not agree and, more. <laughs> you know, like, be it just like a crappy friend that, uh, you know, always just talks about themselves mm. or, you know, somebody that just wants to go on the piss all the time. Just cut them out of your life if that's not what you're about. If your best friend is your best friend, but all they want to do is get sloshed in a pub and smoke weed with them. But that makes you feel worse because alcohol and drugs are depressants. Tell them that. And if they do not respect that, they're gone. They're clearly not your best friend. You know, like I've lost a lot of friends over the lockdown and I wallowed for a long, long time about it. And looking back, why do I care? You know, I've been a lot happier since I'm out of my life. And recently I blocked quite a few of them. And let me tell you, the relief I went through. <laughs> <laughs> the relief was incredible. Um, but also, if you don't feel like you can talk to your friends, that probably means that you can't trust them and i think that's a big part especially with men toxic masculinity of you feel like if you said anything you'd be judged by them now i said a minute ago um my new relationship has really taught me quite a lot about positive masculinity my ex-partner would never cry in front of me when his grandma died he just turned his phone off for three days and didn't talk to me mm-hmm. and didn't mourn nothing like that on the day of her funeral he was cracking jokes and I was thinking, this isn't normal, this isn't right. And the relationship I'm in now, he cries, he tells me when he's upset, yeah. he talks about his feelings, he tells his best mates he loves them. And it's really lovely to see. I mean, he's not the closest with them. He doesn't talk to them every single day. He doesn't meet up with them every weekend, which, quite frankly, is a nice thing. I like to have cuddles in bed and I don't want him <laughs> going out to the pub. He's not allowed to leave to the pub. I'm evil. Um, <laughs> I'm not controlling. Don't worry, guys. Um, but no, it's lovely to see that. It's really lovely to see men yeah. support one another. And I've never seen it before. It's and even, and even with you, I mean, you know, obviously I've known you for a long time. I think I've definitely seen you in recent years show true love for your friends a lot more yeah. than I think you would have done a couple of years 100%. ago. And I, I think that shows a lot about the evolving world. Um, and again, I did say earlier, don't self-diagnose in the sense of, you know, oh, I'm a bit sad, I must have depression. But there is a difference between self-diagnosis for attention and self-diagnosis because of necessity. Yeah. What I mean by that is, if you think you have something and, you know, you've done the research into it and you're not just, you know, going, why does this hurt? Oh, I've got liver failure. You know, you're actually doing the research going, what is dissociative, dissociative identity disorder? What are the symptoms? What can trigger it? How can I understand more about this? And you do really extensive research into it and you sit there and go, okay, I might have this. Or schizophrenia or paranoia or OCD. That's, that's another one as well. Stop saying that if you're a clean freak, you've got OCD. No, you don't. You are just a clean freak. If you like things tidy, you don't have OCD. OCD is very severe, but yes, um, that's yeah. a whole other thing. Um, but if you are going to self-diagnose, and it's the necessity, that doesn't mean that's the end of the journey. Once you know you've got something or you are 90% sure, call a doctor, say, I think I've got X, Y, or Z. I'd like to make an appointment. And this, if you're listening now and you're trying to get a diagnosis and you've been put on a two-year waiting list, go through right to choose. When you sit down at your appointment with your GP, if it's through the NHS, tell them, I want to go through right to choose with Psychiatry UK. They are brilliant. 
they helped me get my diagnoses really quickly they listened to my my ideas my options why i thought i had what i had they gave me other routes and they then put me down the routes of um mental health help they put me through counseling options through psychotherapy options all these different things to help me now psychiatry uk is private and you do have to pay for it it's something you think will definitely benefit your life and you think that you cannot carry on the way you're going and you really need to get a diagnosis to help you whether it be for medication therapy what whatever you you think is best for you please do it it does work last thing is if you cannot talk to your parents and you feel like they really 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 just they would never get it and you need to get it off your chest the best thing i would is just slowly drop in terms that you can kind of relate to so say you are having suicidal tendencies don't keep that to yourself just i'm not feeling the way i should do and i want to talk to you about it create an open conversation use terms that they will understand but aren't too serious until they get the hang of it and then you and it's probably the best way to start an open communication with your parents obviously if you think that it would only create more issues with your family obviously don't you know first but if it's more you just think your parents wouldn't understand because they're old-fashioned and things like that use terminology and language they will understand and they will sympathize with and slowly use the more medical terms and symptoms and you know all those things to help get them to understand better is probably the best way of doing things and that's what i've done with my parents um i did from the anorexia thing on them which really freaked them out um but I think with everything else, I started with saying I'm a bit low and I was going on to, I think I might have depression and I was talking about that and then from there went into the self-harm and all that kind of stuff and it's an easier way of communicating with them and it really, really does help a lot. So if you are worried, that is probably a really good way to do it. Wow, thank you. Yeah, do you mind, do you mind <laughs> giving right. a really quick, because that's such important points there, I think, do you mind yeah. just giving a really quick, maybe like a sentence for each just so any listeners can really sort of jot it down? Yeah. Um, because yeah I think there are very important points raised there okay yeah so if, if you are really worried and you can't talk to people one if you can't talk to them and they're your friend cut them out they clearly aren't good for you if it's for your parents um use basic terminology and slowly build up it does make life so much easier for you as well because it's not too hectic and I think three um be it whether you're the one that's got um concerns about your own mental health or you can see that your friend might be going through something policy are you okay no really are you okay do you want to talk I am here if you want to talk they're my three main pieces other than that and I'll say it again call your GP tell them what you think you have and then once you're on the phone to them and you've got an appointment at your appointment sit down, tell them what you think you have, why you think you have it, and then you say, I'd like to be diagnosed through Right to Choose with Psychiatry UK. That is Psychiatry UK. They are brilliant. A private service, but they are so helpful. You may even be diagnosed within the week of that GP appointment because the GP will send it straight through, and they are so fast, so responsive. They're amazing. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, I think I definitely agree. Um, Just to cotton on to that first point there. Um, yeah, hundred percent. I think I, I've always well. I, I think in the last year, for year or so, I've become a lot more sort of, I guess, forgiving than I than I was before. But yeah, hundred percent. If you're if you go to your friend, raise a concern with them, and and say to them, look, I don't think this is a healthy friendship. Um, I, I feel like there's certain ways in which you're having like you know a direct impact on my mental health. The way they react to that will show whether they're healthy or toxic for you. So. Um, if if you do have concerns with your friends, don't be afraid to go up to them and and bring it to them because that will almost be your way of telling whether they're good for you or not. Um, and as someone who, yeah, like I said, was in a relationship with someone who actually, instead of being there to support, you know, instead of being healthy, instead of, you know, trying to help me to find support, um, who actually sort of blamed me for it, you know, and guilt tripped me and gaslighted and all of that. All I say is the faster you cut out toxic people who are bad for your mental health 100% the better it will be for you Mm. um and also yeah thank you for bringing up that last point as well um trying to get you know trying to get diagnosed as quickly as possible because yeah I've heard some real horror stories 
of people waiting years and years um, to get diagnoses. And um, yeah, any, any, you know, any way that is quicker than, than just being placed on waiting list after waiting list after waiting list mm. um, is ideal. And yeah, definitely. I think from my experience, um, going back to your point again on uh, antidepressants, uh, I'll say the one fault I had with my with my counsellor, other than this, he was you know incredible, and and really helped me sort of in those early stages. Um, but one of my only fault was yeah, uh, when I was saying you know I am actually feeling really low quite a lot. I think um, there's most days like I'm waking up not having any motivation to do anything. You know, I'm staying in bed until like five six p.m. I was saying, I think I might, you know, be feeling like quite depressed. He, he's, his first thing was call your GP, try and get antidepressants. I was just like, no, no, that's not, that, you know, yeah. that's not going to happen. That was the only sort of negative. Um, but like I said, other than that, 10 out of 10. Yeah. Um, so yeah, some very important points raised there. And um, yeah, I was just going to say, going into this sort of last question now, and again, you, 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 you touched on it with sort of that little discussion about, you know, toxic masculinity and then contrasted that with um you know positive masculinity Mm -hmm. um as someone who is involved in mental health awareness you know you said you're um doing a bit of research and stuff for the documentary why do you think there seems to be a lot more sort of female interest in mental health activism than there are male I think I, I don't I hate like I said I hate to use the term toxic masculinity I think I, yeah. I think it's it, you know it's not fair because I, there are a lot of wonderful men and ma- being masculine isn't toxic in itself I think that um unfortunately we are still in an age where old school masculinity which is toxic masculinity I have to is say I really do like present. the term positive masculinity I've not heard that one before I and I do think <laughs> as well just to put a little point in there because I'm quite passionate about this mini subject um <laughs> I definitely do think one of the most dangerous things that a lot of people can do and unfortunately it does seem to be um you know it does seem to be more women than men um is, is misusing the term toxic masculinity because if it's misused it can uh, come in from a male perspective it can just make you feel so like it, it just makes you feel like trash it just makes you feel like you're wrong yeah. you shouldn't be part of society um, yeah. puts you down it affects your body image it affects your self-esteem so um, if if it's used incorrectly it can be so damaging for you know male mental health absolutely which is why i mean i i don't know how often positive masculinity is used but i i actually quite like to use mm. it because i think positive masculinity there are very positive things about men and their, their feelings their emotions and when I do see it I love to see it and it doesn't make you feminine it doesn't make you girly it doesn't make you a sissy or a simp or whatever you want to call it <laughs> it makes you human you're not men you're not robots you, you might seem like it when you can fix a tv and I bloody can't but you're not robots so you're allowed to show your emotion but toxic masculinity absolutely is a thing and I think it's something we do need to talk about but I think we need to be like you said very careful about how we use it um, what I often r- refer to as toxic masculinity is putting men down, men putting men down for showing any emotion because it makes yeah. you a simp or a sissy. No, it doesn't. Stop saying that. And I think the second men realise that, we'll take leaps and bounds forwards. I mean, like I said, my partner does show his emotions and I love it. And it's it's one of the most appealing things about him is he tells me he loves me all the time. He shows me he loves me. He understands... Um, how I like you know to, to be touched and that sounds really dirty I just mean like you know like body language and all that kind of stuff yeah, he understands yeah. that and he and he respects my boundaries and he tells when he's sad when he is sad or he's angry he tells me he doesn't just shout at me or push me away mm-hmm. he explains it to me he does cry he does show emotion and I love that yeah. and that is positive masculinity because that is a being a man showing your emotion now, he also works in a really, you know, male-dominated environment of working with mechanics and, you know, people. You've got men that love cars. You've got all these kind of things. And I was saying, like, yeah. I was saying men without personality. But then, to be fair, there are, I know more women without personalities than men without personalities. <laughs> um, I mean, Love Island is my prime example. Watch that show yeah. for an hour. You'll have no brain cells left. Um, and, I mean, that also creates stereotypes of men and women about this whole like, i mean the amount of suicides you know. that have come out of love island let's just put it that way it's oh my god just, I, mean, I don't know how that show's still running i i have no idea I, I i used to love the show i now can't watch it i mean 
it's appalling. But what what mm. my point I was making about um, where my partner works is that yeah, so dominated and and I do did worry when I first met him that he was going to be one of those men that didn't because I, yeah. I and I don't necessarily type, but I do feel like men that work in male dominated dominated industries often feel like they have to be the masculine man that you know has the six pack and the massive biceps and you know that kind of meme of the four men standing outside the restaurant all wearing the exact same outfit and they just look like every man ever you know such I a good meme he, format though i love it absolutely i love the matt hancock ones by the way they're just phenomenal <laughs> um but um yeah so obviously i was worried he was gonna be like that but he's just not and i think that's really really important but the reason i personally think that we still are in an era where we can't talk about um men's mental health a lot more than women isn't because women are more emotional because they're not men are emotional and they do they are starting to show their emotions more which is brilliant i think the main problem is actually still our foundation of care system and teaching and what i mean by that is when you've got a three or four year old in preschool or nursery or reception and they're a girl and they're crying and they're really upset they're just a girl and they're just showing their emotions that's fine um boys when you see them at a young age getting very emotional angry they just get given anger issues and women often you know do get an easier ride of mental like mental health support whereas men just get pawned off as having anger issues and mental health in men and women display really differently just as with heart attacks in men and women a woman can come in complaining of stomach pain and actually be having a heart attack and women do have different pain thresholds and different ways we see things unfortunately in men they don't get recognized as easily for example men the reason we know often that men have autism or adhd is because they display very openly but with depression whilst women may be more open to talking about it men often become a lot quieter and and shut themselves off and i think that's really really dangerous because then we sit there and just think oh they're just shy they're just introverted but actually thing and I definitely noticed it a lot more with um, my male friends growing up. Um, I have quite a lot of gay friends. I have mainly gay friends, actually. Um, most of my friends are part of the LGBT community. So they've been very open. However, I've had a couple of straight friends. And whilst my gay friends you know, um, talkative, I feel like maybe because mm. they have the surrounding network of other gay men that are open and talkative and have... Again, token gay friends, if you're a woman, you're disgusting. But they do have somebody to talk to. I think men often, if they do isolate themselves around other men, they're about it. And there are like Unless they bring about change themselves, yeah. I know, but I think it's so hard to do that because especially if you have family members that look look down upon it. And I think family members do also see men as you shouldn't be emotional, you shouldn't feel anything. Not to stereotype, but yeah, especially the... um... Especially, I would say, I think the older generation as well. But I, yeah. I, I don't think that's coming from it. I think a lot of the time, that's not necessarily coming from a place of spite. It's just coming from no. a place of miseducation and exactly. being told to, you know, keep keep a keep a smile on your face and just let just let things mm. like come at you and just take them and then just you know, just don't react to them. You know, in in a in a weak way, in invert in in quotation marks, because yeah. it's just not true. But yeah. I mean- I mean, my parents were born in the 60s. My grandparents were born in the uh, 20s and 30s. It's just a very, very different time. I mean, I do have quite older parents and parents than lots of my friends do. And like I said, I'm adopted and I've got quite strong connections to my biological family as well. And the difference I've seen in literally even just my um, cousins and one of my aunts is only three years older than me how she has grown up with mental health and my cousins in their 30s have grown up with mental health compared to my parents or my adopted side there's such a big difference and it's only a short period of time and I think something changed in either the late 70s or early 80s and I don't know what it was and I I, I couldn't tell you because I don't know enough about it but suddenly it was an era and especially in the 90s children that grew up in the 90s and I think millennials out there will probably agree. They were able to talk about their emotions quite a lot more. And I, I don't know exactly what it was, but there was this, something just 
change where mm. we started being able to do it unfortunately just because our parents didn't grow up in an environment where they could talk about those things it, it's it's not out of spite and it's not out of anger or disgust it's just it wasn't discussed and um you know i think just creating that open conversation and i keep saying just create a conversation it, it really does help and your parents at the end of the day if they react in a certain way it's not because they hate you or they disagree with you they're just not used to it and i think obviously you always get exceptions to the rule you always get the homophobic parents or the um transphobic parents and all that kind of stuff and and or ableist parents that just won't understand but there will also be a big group of parents that just just didn't think about it before because it was not normal for them growing up but the second you tell them you know they educate themselves or you help educate them as well you'll find that there'll be a very open line of conversation there and they'll be more than happy to communicate with you about anything it's just creating that ability to open the door um and that goes the same for men as well you know just create the line and it only takes one person to mm-hmm. sit there and go no mate are you sure you're okay and roman kemp did a brilliant documentary a couple of months ago talking about this be the change you want to see in others you know if you feel like you can't talk to your friends about it well create the line for them do it the other way around and then they'll do it for you and then do it for somebody else and they'll do it back to you this chain reaction of men talking to one another um you know but don't be shy to tell men that you you know your other male friends you love whenever i hang up the phone to my best friend i'll tell her i love her whenever and to my other best friend who's a guy i'll do the same thing you know why can't thing just tell your friends you love them because you do love them it's not you know weird or gay all the insults you can think under the sun but wait please stop also using gay as an insult is wrong in so many yeah. ways but you know just do it and it just shows you care you're there for them and it really does help and i think just doing that are you okay it will help to for people to talk to one another and it will help prevent suicides and and at the beginning you said also about homelessness and how a lot more men are homeless as well i i think that's a whole other situation of mm-hmm. when a woman has an addiction problem or financial issues her family groups around her when a man has addiction issues financial issues um, gambling problems, alcohol problems, drug problems, or they've lost their job. They're seen as weak for not sorting themselves out. They're almost Why? branded a criminal, I think, in some ways. Yeah. I think that they are definitely seen as, a, as an outcast. And what's very interesting about that is, yeah, like I said, the stats are just crazy. So yeah. 87% of those sleeping rough are men. That, that's yeah. pretty much nine out of 10 people who are sleeping rough are men and so what doesn't make sense in some of these statistics and again why I asked this question and why I guess I created the whole podcast in the first place because I had no idea of how bad it was before actually experiencing some mental health issues and then you know doing research but if you actually look at general surveys the the priory survey which says 77% of men suffered with anxiety stress and depression is actually an anomaly and if you actually look at most surveys um, they point towards women having much higher rates of depression, um, you know, mental health issues. And these are surveys where people have come forward. So they, they're not surveys yeah. where they're asking directly. They're surveys where people come forward and report these issues. Yeah. There's a big disparity between that and the 75% suicide rate for men. Um, you know, 75% of yeah. suicides are male. And stats such as this, so 70% of adults who go missing are men. And obviously, as we know, a lot of the times when someone goes missing, mental health is very likely to be involved as a leading cause yeah. for that. Um, and also 87% of those sleeping rougher men. And we know that up to, I, I think, uh, it may be wrong, but I think up to 92 or 93% of those sleeping rough, so this is everyone, suffer from mental health issues. So again, very closely linked. Yeah. It does seem that, I know, I know the question was aimed towards activists, but it does seem that men are definitely suffering with mental health issues a lot more but more women are coming forward and reporting their mental health issues, which is yeah. which is why I think a lot of people are still not very educated on this on this matter. Just because it looks like it's you know, just because it looks like, um, for example, more women are suffering from depression, and I would not take anything away from that. Every individual who's suffering from depression, anxiety, stress, or mental health deserves to be you know treated and looked after and supported. But I, I just I, I think that. 
I, th- I think the real issue is that coming forward and, and admitting you've got a problem because change starts in one-on-one conversations and there's just not enough of them going on in male friendship groups, in workplaces which are male-dominated mm. and other environments where, you know, men are talking on a day-to-day basis and all the discussions are, is, you know, I love a bit of banter, but like it is literally banter all day, talk yeah. about football, so surface level. And then after that, what do you do when you go home? Well, you've got all these issues you bottled up that you would be would be best to share with people. But the entire day you've just spent mm. just talking about really superficial things. Well, and this, that's where that's where it starts to bottle up. Yeah. This is this is something that I've definitely noticed. Of I, I mean, I, I, a couple of weeks ago, I was like, oh, what have you been up to? I went, oh, I've, I've been out all day with my mate Jamie, and I was like, oh, brilliant, what have you been up to? And oh, you know, we just played a bit of football. I was like, oh, yeah, what did you talk about? I was like, I don't really know. And I was like, well, you were with him for six hours. What did you talk about? He went, I don't know, nothing, nothing really. I was like, what, you sat in silence? I went, no, we were chatting. I was like, well, you know, how's his dad doing? His dad's been struggling a bit during the pandemic. He was like, oh, I didn't really ask. I was like, well, what, what, what about um, his mum? You know, how, how's his mum doing? I went, oh, I didn't ask. And, and then I went on to like, oh, you know, his his dad's um got a place out in Cyprus. Is he, is he gonna be going there anytime soon? He's like, Do you know, what? I don't even know. And I was just there like, how can you not? Because that's one of the first things I do. I'm like, oh my god, hi, it's so lucky to see you, Sarah. How's your mum doing? How's your dad yeah. doing? How's your sister doing? When did she get her? When did she get her results for Anables? And I'll be like that, and I'll ask about the family. And obviously, I'm not gonna intrude and be like, is your mum still, you know, like doing this, this, and this? And it's just like, mm-hmm. just you know, it's like friendly conversation. And I think yeah. that's something else that men don't do either. But I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm just going to jump back onto the homeless thing quickly. We still do not view in the UK, by law, we do. But as a group of people in society, we do not view addiction as a mental health problem. Mm-hmm. We view it as a choice. Now, when we stop seeing alcoholism, drug addiction, gambling, um, any form of addiction as a choice and as a mental health problem which it is it will help and men stereotypically and i'm not saying that women don't as well but stereotypically men do stereotypically uh, men take on more intense job roles women do as well mm-hmm. take them on but you know gen- gender issues do come into that as well however yeah. if you look at um the divide between men and women in banking law civil service, MPs, things like that, you know, high intensity roles, men do come out on top and mm-hmm. there is a lot of pressure in them. They are more likely to work 80 plus hours a week. They are more likely to, you know, work overtime, yeah. um, not see a brilliant pay for years and they're overworking themselves with very little reward. Mechanics as well. I often see, you know, mechanics get paid. Yeah. And, it, you know, I, I very rarely see my boyfriend because he's always at work. He he works 60 hours a week. And I, I do sometimes think he tries to burn out because he's mm-hmm. so, you know, he's so busy all the time. Yeah. And yeah. with that, one of the main, you know, remedies to help you is addiction. And it isn't a choice. It is something that just comes on as a coping mechanism. It's not a healthy one, but it is the way it is. And I think the second we start talking about that as a mental health problem and not, you know oh yeah you just like to go on the path and get on the piss no he doesn't yeah. he needs it it's his only way of coping and getting through the day that doesn't sound like somebody's making a choice here that sounds like somebody that's on the verge of it like ending it all or someone like somebody who's, someone who's surviving so and relying who, on something yeah. that's destroying their life yeah and it is something we need to talk about more and i, I think the second we see that the homeless rates will drop and yeah. of course the government does need to intervene those programs for help and provide free counseling and free support and more shelters and i don't you know, think we're going to see that under uh, boris johnson but i don't, I don't think <laughs> we're going to see that period i mean i i'm sorry but and i'm quite staunchly left-wing i mean i flick quite a lot with my views but yeah. i've always been very left-wing and that's just the way i am and under the last three um leaders of the labor party i've been appalled on how they talked about mm-hmm. mental health absolutely appalled and um Theresa may david cameron and now we've got boris johnson are just as bad if not worse i don't think there is a very strong party at all or opposition to the conservative party in the uk as of right now that genuinely cares about mental yeah. health and doesn't just use it as marketing schemes i, I, I think on this it, yeah i think on know, this it, note it's crazy to actually look if we actually look at um obviously you know covid has been very disruptive it has killed 
you know, thousands of people and it's affected millions of families. But if you actually look at the stats right yeah. now, suicide deaths daily are outnumbering COVID deaths daily in this country. Um, they are. Yeah. So it just make it just makes me so angry because it's like we're literally putting billions of pounds towards COVID. Yet, if if you if you really cared about human loss of human life and the impact that's having on families, then you would be looking into these suicide stats. You would you, you would put be putting yeah. more energy towards the, these these statistics than you would mm. t- towards COVID. But this is the thing as well. I mean, COVID has also caused a lot of mental health. Both two hundred percent increase. Quite big journeys in our own discoveries of our mental health. Yeah, Yeah. and it it has caused a lot of turmoil for people. I mean, people have lost their jobs. People have lost their families, their loved ones. People have lost their homes. It's so distressing. And then when you look at the fact that the government is not supporting that. And then the fact that the government goes and spends money on, you know, yachts and things like that. Or, you know, we have Matt Hancock having affairs and we have Boris who's marrying his lover. And that's front page news. Or Meghan Markle did this and let's put that front page news. And we don't talk about the real stuff. I don't care if the royal Mm -hmm. family is having a dispute and who said what. And obviously when it comes to racism, what's going on with the royal family is, is abominable and it's disgusting. The fact that they were concerned about a baby. But the fact that they're dragging this out now, when there are real things to talk about, I don't want to hear about... I mean, the other day, the Daily Mail's page two was an article about how Harry's ex-girlfriend wiped hair out of her face as she walked along a London street. I don't (laughs) care, Daily Mail. I really could not give less of a shit. Let's talk about the real stuff here. Let's stop talking about this crap and if the government was forced to do that and there was more articles on it maybe they'll be you know pressured into doing something but they're Mm -hmm. not because no one wants to talk about it people care more about what kate middleton's hat looks like and what it represents (laughs) or you know what what lorraine's gonna be talking about today and realistically lorraine kelly you know she just seems to only ever have idiots on that talk about oh yes i just feed my children grass all day and they came out fine no they didn't (laughs) they're gonna die but i don't care let's talk about the real stuff and i don't think that there are many shows out there at all talk those daytime tv if anything they do more harm than good and jeremy carl is a prime example of that if anything every form of our media only makes it worse and the only one I can actually think of that's actually helped people is that stupid TikTok because, you know, people are actually learning about their mental health problems. I mean, I discovered that I probably have ADHD through TikTok because there are so many people on there talking about their mm-hmm. symptoms of ADHD as a woman, which is really grossly misdiagnosed as just being quiet and having terrible focus. And people are going, oh, maybe there are and it is brilliant and I think you know and again don't just listen to what somebody says on TikTok and think that's correct listen to it do your own research afterwards um but you know I think that's one of the only medias that has done any good with mental health but every other form of media social media newspapers they're all shocking and none of them are contributing to anything and they're not pressuring the government enough and I think we all put more focus onto mental health yeah in the forefront because it is a national crisis Suicides are so high in the UK, self-harm is so high in the UK, domestic violence, addiction problems are so high in the UK, but they go unnoticed. What is wrong with our country if we seriously seem to prioritise a group of stuffed up old people and a group of people that live in 10 Downing Street more than anybody else in the country? Stop prioritising them, start prioritising yourself, start pressuring the government to help, you know, write to your local MPs, really really just keep petitioning i mean we're unfortunately with an mp that can't do anything but then vote in a good mp you know like if your mp is going to be the deputy speaker for the house of commons or she can't be partial to any beliefs don't vote her in vote for somebody else you know every choice you make especially as a young person voting all makes a difference and it will all impact and i don't think we're looking at the kind of whole effect of things and you know we can sit here and just say like oh it's so terrible but make those changes you know and i've been saying throughout this entire episode be active in what you do and that's not just you know asking your friends but also you know writing to mps and you know complaining to people and making sure that things are said and creating podcasts like this one and 
you know, writing towards um, independent newspapers and online papers or articles and writing blog posts, things like that, that will get the word out there. And that's what we're already doing. And it is working. It is making a change and it is creating more of an open dialogue about mental health. There you go. <laughs> that's a really, no, that's a really, um, wow, yeah, really good phrase there. For anyone listening, I'd recommend listen to this episode like two or three times because there was so much. Um, oh, I can talk for Britain. So I'm so much sorry. <laughs> no, but honestly, I, I do think, um, yeah, we've covered so much ground here and mm. all of these three questions have been answered so in, in such an in-depth way. I would recommend <laughs> anyone listening, honestly, to listen back, uh, you know, as many times as you want. Um, but yeah, thank you. Thank you for coming on today um, and, Thanks you know, sharing your, yeah, no worries, sharing your um, own experiences. And then also, and again, I think it's the first time actually on the podcast we've had a female perspective uh, sort of looking from the outside in on sort mm. of, you know, I guess the male struggle with mental health because there's not really any other way to put it. Um, but yeah, so everyone who did listen, thank you for listening in. If you think this episode would help anyone you know you know any close friends any family members even um please feel free to share it with them share the link with them and yeah thank you for listening and i'll see you in the next episode